this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast about playing video games with two old buddies. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. You know, Daniel, you know what I like about that intro is it gets more true every time we do this podcast. <laughs> because time just keeps marching on and we're only getting older. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I'm turning 31 this year. Yeah, as am I. Yeah. But you're turning 31 first. Yes. Which would surprise anyone who knows the two of us. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm older than you. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> and it's always been true. <laughs> well, welcome to Play This. Uh, welcome to our Game of the Year 2018 podcast. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to episode five. I think it's episode six. Well, I, I didn't number the last episode. Oh, you rebel. Yeah. I, I was a special, so. Oh, okay. It, you know, outside was, the usual format. It was very special to me, too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, last episode, we did our Game of the Year 2017 podcast. Make sure you listen to that to hear all of our thoughts about the year that was. Yeah. And was what a, a year it was. Yeah. Man, that was a fun episode to do. I'm really yeah. glad we knocked that out. And thanks again to our friends Colin, Amy Lee, and Sean for joining us on that podcast-a-thon. Uh, this week we get back to a little bit more of a of a normal formula for us here on Play This. Yeah. We're going to hit you with some video game news, um, catch up on some stuff that we missed. So we're going back a little bit further in the news archives here, um, but uh, some stuff we wanted to cover. And then we're going to have a conversation about Persona 5. Yeah. Persona 5, the game that Daniel recommended to me five weeks ago now? Yeah, five weeks. Wow. It's, yeah. You know, when you put almost 100 hours into a thing, time really just starts <laughs> to lose all the <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, but also, you're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's talk about some video game news. So one of the things that we missed uh, in the lead-up to our Game of the Year podcast was the Nintendo Direct Mini. Yeah. And there's a, cu- a couple highlights from that that um, Daniel and I wanted to touch on. Um, Daniel, why don't you go first? Okay. <laughs> uh, so there were a lot of, like, little things that the Mini Direct announced that were like kind of cool but obviously not not worth like a lot of discussion like donkey kong being playable mario rabbits that's cool but we can't really have a full discussion about that uh world ends with the remix is neat now you loved that game when it first came out oh i loved it so much and it's really good i don't know if i'd buy it to <laughs> i don't know if i'd buy it again to play through the whole thing again without a second screen but uh well i'm curious as someone who played the game the first time and loved it how do you feel about you know because the set of the game was was the unique battle system with the two screens yeah so how do you feel about it coming to the switch i mean it's hard to say without having played the new new version of it but yeah i think i think that's really interesting because not only was were the mechanics so dependent on all the ds's features especially the double screens right but they also made the story sort of revolve around those mechanics they're probably going to do what they did with the iOS port. There's also a port for iPhone that just puts it all on one screen and basically just makes it that uh, your partner is AI controlled. I think. Yeah. And um, don't know how I feel about that. I don't. <laughs> I don't think it'll ruin the game. I think it'll still be a very good game without it. But it it, it was built around. I don't want to say a gimmick because that sounds pejorative. Right. I don't mean it pejoratively. But it was built around a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, and so to remove that gimmick, you know. What's yeah. left of the actual game experience. Right. Still a lot, I think. Sure. That game's got a really funky, cool story, <laughs> and the gameplay is just something else, like, even without that second screen. So, 
I would recommend anyone that has an experience World Ends with you, pick or it up. Can you call it what we used to call it? Twewi. <laughs> We're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyone that hasn't played Twewi before, I feel... And all seven people who listen to our podcast just stopped. <laughs> I, I feel like it's still a worthwhile experience. I'll, I'm interested to see whether or not the DS version will still be like the definitive version, even though it's so much older. But what I actually wanted to talk about <laughs> right, <sorry>. is, <laughs> is how interesting it is. I, I think it's funny that how with every new batch of Nintendo announcement, the Wii U just fucking dies even more. Yeah. Uh, they announced two very big definitive ports. They announced a Switch version of Tropical Freeze. That adds Funky Kong, uh, who is essentially like an easy mode, right? Right, right. He has a surfboard that just lets him ignore spikes, uh, which is pretty huge in that game. And Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition, which takes all the content from the Wii U version of Hyrule Warriors and the 3DS version of Hyrule Warriors and puts it all onto a single package on the Switch. Those were... Two of the Wii U's best games, in my opinion, and now they're on the Switch, which means anyone that wants to like go back and like buy a Wii U to like pick up those those gems that were left behind on the platform have less and less of a reason to do that because there's almost nothing left. The, the tone of your voice would almost indicate like that you think that this is a bad or a sad thing, but to me, this seems like nothing but upside. Oh no, this. It's great. I oh, okay. I feel... <laughs> I wasn't sure which way yeah. you were leaning here. Sorry, like, I guess I have sort of a, a splitting of feelings on it. One is that I'm very happy for the expanded audience that's going to get to play these very, very good games. Part of me looks at my purchase of the Wii U and goes, in <laughs> retrospect, I kind of wasted a lot of money. Huh? Well, yeah. Like... <laughs> I could have told you that. In fact, I... <laughs> you, you kind of have, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'm sort of a collector of games yeah. and consoles, and I love finding things that are only on a specific console. Uh, like, I, I went back and I got, like, Power Stone on the Dreamcast and stuff, Shenmue. Uh, that's always kind of a fun thing for me. It's kind of bittersweet that the Wii U is going to have nothing by the end of the Switch's life cycle, I feel like. Right now... Uh, Smash Bros. Switch, uh, Smash Bros. Wii U is still an exclusive. Pikmin 3 is still on there. Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Wonderful 101. I feel like a minimum of half of those are also getting ported to the Switch. And or, and or getting better versions of those games that obsolete the Wii U versions. You know, kind kind of sad for the Wii U. I, I, think, I think the Wii U isn't going to have a legacy at all, which is kind of sad. Well, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but it's also a little bit like a little bit of saying I had this cool thing that no one else could experience. <laughs> and, I, and now that it's coming to a more mainstream audience, it's a little bit sour grapes. Nah, I, I'm not trying to be a video game no, hipster. Oh, I know. But that's a little <laughs> bit of, I think, an unavoidable argument when you get into the Wii U and its library. Because right. either you're saying someone would have to go buy the Wii U to play the five good games it has. Right. Or Nintendo can do the right thing and breathe them to a more popular system. Yeah, I do want to reiterate, I do want to say that and I that's, think... Well, you're right, yeah. that's not aimed at you. Yeah. I think that's aimed at just in general. Yes, yeah. I, like, I applaud, 
I applaud Nintendo for fully acknowledging the mistake that they made in yes. making the Wii U. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to survive and thrive afterwards is quite impressive. Yeah. I will never not make fun of them for deciding to make the <laughs> Wii U. But I think the the more serious thing is to look at it and say, hey, you know, they could have buried it. Yeah. They could have just, you know, tried to whitewash their mistake. Yeah. But they're not. And I think that there's something in that. Yeah. I I think so, too. I am ultimately happy that these games are being brought over and actually really hope that they'll really just bring their full library over because there are some games still on the Wii U right now that I would recommend to you, <laughs> and I like you buying a Wii U would be the biggest waste of money. Right. Uh, so I really hope that all of the functionality that I loved about the Wii U comes over to the Switch. Like, I hope that we get some Game Boy Advance Virtual Console on the Switch. I really hope everything that we got on the Wii U comes to the Switch. I just, like, I feel bad for the Wii U's history, I guess. It's, well, it's bittersweet. And, and let's share a little bit of history here. Just lest people think that I'm on some sort of popular systems high horse. <laughs> My first video game system ever <laughs> was a Panasonic 3 d <laughs> So you you don't have to sell me on the unloved system. I I am all about the unloved system. Um, just I'll put that out there, and I, I think that'll be a fun conversation for a or a fun topic rather for a podcast down the road. Mm -hmm. But I'm you know I'm all about defending a system that maybe didn't sell so well or didn't have the right marketing behind it, didn't yeah. have the right games behind it. All of those are true of the 3DO. <laughs> um, uh, so no, I I I get where you're coming from, but I I think you know the focus of the story. I think is less for me on the Wii U officially having its death rattle and more on Nintendo bringing good games to a system that is selling well. I agree. I agree with that. It is happy news. I'm happy about it. And in other happy news, um, I was most excited from the direct to see uh, Mario Tennis Aces and that would have a story mode. Yeah. So I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, we've established that I'm a big fan of sports games in general, yeah. but I'm all, uh, maybe even a bigger fan of um, sports games in universes that aren't sports-based. Uh, I like that, too. Right. As, so like... as someone that doesn't care about sports <laughs> games by themselves, if you mix sports together yeah. with something like weird or wacky, that I'm into. That I get in. And we've talked about my love for Blitzball. Yeah. Um, you know, the Mario sports games are all pretty dang good, and I think tennis probably is generally the best of them all. I, I did like uh, Mario Strikers quite a bit. You loved Mario Strikers. I think tennis generally tends to be the best of the Mario sports games. Okay. Mario Golf also good. Yeah. Um, and I also loved uh, Tiny Toons All-Stars, which was just a really great game <laughs> on Genesis that yeah. I had a lot of fun with. Um, so I'm a big fan of, like I just said, sports and non-sports worlds, and I especially appreciate that they are um, putting a story mode into this one. I think that's a great choice. Uh, yeah, I think that is a very good call because last few Mario sports games, last few Mario tennis games have omitted that feature. And it's definitely, you could definitely feel its absence, you know, yeah. like it felt like it had less substance as a result. So I'm really glad that they're bringing that back into the Mario tennis games. Well, I think, but I'll say on top of that is I, uh, one of the reasons I appreciate that there's a story mode is because though uh, these games tend to be a lot of fun, they're not the deepest of games. Yeah. So without a story mode, there's not a lot bringing you back unless you're a perfectionist. Yeah. Like unless you want to like be the person who can have a super uh, serve on every shot right. or, you know, whatever. Uh, there's not a lot to bring you back for an extended period of time. Yeah. So to have a story mode to allow you to engage with the game deeper, if you're a more casual uh, player, I think is, is great. And that's exactly the kind of experience personally that I want to have. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Cool. 
so that is uh, the Nintendo Direct. There's some other interesting things there, but you know, uh, we we want to talk about Persona Five, so let's move on. <laughs> um, also, uh, around that same time, uh, Nintendo announced the Nintendo Labo. Yeah, man, man, do you have anything to say about this? Not really, no. <laughs> not, which I don't mean like in a in a mean way. I, I have no problem with Nintendo announcing this pro- product. It looks really cool. Yeah. Um, it just does not look like anything I would buy. Which is not an indictment of it. Yeah, that's fair. A quick thing, Nintendo Labo is their new project where they give you uh, some software and a bunch of cardboard. And basically you make gadgets out of the cardboard. Right. Gadgets that you can like slip your Joy-Cons into and uh, and they interact with the software. Like you can... Uh, you can make a fishing pole out of cardboard and then play like a fishing minigame using the Labo software, uh, where it sort of like uh, uses a motion sensor in the Joy-Con that's inside the little cardboard fishing pole, and right. you can you can fish with it. It's I I'm getting it. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm getting it when it comes out. It just looks. This is the kind of innovative stuff that I love to see Nintendo do whenever they experiment and get like wacky and weird. (laughs) That's that. Those things are always instant buys for me. Even, even though they tend to feel kind of tech demo y and maybe not like have a lot of substance at first. And I, I'm getting a vibe that this won't be too much of an exception. No, it probably won't be. Um, but I love seeing them innovate and experiment and I'm always in for that. I'm always in for new gameplay experiences, and that seems that seems like it'll definitely be that. Especially, we're actually recording just after a lot of hands-on impressions have come out. Have you heard of the Toy-Con Garage? I don't think I have, no. The Labo has this base functionality where you can make these five different gadgets, and they have these mini-games attached to each of the gadgets. Toy-Con Garage is an advanced tool for the Labo that lets you program your devices and like change them up or make completely different devices using the functionality that that the Labo already has. You can also like sort of mix and match the functionality of different Labo gadgets. For example, there's the fishing rod I mentioned earlier and there's also a piano gadget where you can actually play the piano keys and it'll use the IR sensor to to sense when you're pressing which key and play different music notes. With Toy-Con Garage, you can mix and match it so that the fishing rod can play music, for example. No. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Um and uh and they also have like they also have functionality where you can add more Joy-Cons into your basically it's like a little inventorous suite where you can make your own crazy stuff using the Labo as sort of a, a backbone. That's neat. I, I think, like, in general, the Labo is something that I'll have a small amount of fun watching people t- tinker with online. Right. But I don't I don't anticipate it having any direct impact on my on my life. That's fair. Especially not at, you know, its price point. Which which is a little pricey. I think it's going to be huge with kids. I think kids... Well, that's the thing, too, yeah. is, like, it, it seems like the, the natural market for this is kids, but it's not being priced at a kid-friendly price. Yeah. Which... I don't particularly love them doing that. Yeah. I understand why. Right. Um, but I, I don't love that decision. That's fair. That's it's not fair. a very accessible price. No, yeah. That's a really good point that the Labo is supposed to be this really accessible 
really like welcoming come in and try this thing but that's not a welcoming price it's not yeah that's super fair i'm I'm still getting it but but i realize that i'm an outlier when it comes to nintendo things sometimes an outlier yeah outlier okay yeah i mean you know more to come on this on the labo for sure as people start to tinker with it and come up with cool things to to look at and to see and to do um and i think daniel will be watching that a little bit more closely than i will Almost definitely. <laughs> One thing I will say is that I bet they've announced like Labo, Labo Kit One, Labo Kit Two. So I bet E three we're gonna get at least two more Labo kits. I think this is gonna be something we see new like like little Labo releases for for at least the next year or so. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. So that's the Nintendo Labo. Uh, next up is another installment of news that is pretty big in the gaming world in general, but not for Daniel and me which is that Microsoft first-party titles will be added to the Xbox Game Pass library at launch. Uh, and these titles include Sea of Thieves, State of Decay 2, Crackdown 3, uh, the next Halo, next Gears of War, and the next Forza. I'm going to say that I think this is actually like a really big deal. I think it's a big deal, too. <laughs> Just not for me, because yeah. I don't have an Xbox. No, that's fair. I do have an Xbox One, and I'm actually going to be taking advantage of this. Not for every title in that list, but when Sea of Thieves comes out, sure, yeah. Sea of Thieves is actually really great that they're putting that on Xbox Game Pass when it launches, and I guess we should maybe, because you didn't even know what Xbox Game Pass was until this week, so I, I feel like we should... <laughs> Thanks for putting me on blast. <laughs> I feel like we should explain real quick, Xbox Game Pass is basically Xbox's Netflix. Right. They They have a selection of about 100 different xbox one and xbox 360 games that if you're subscribed to xbox game pass you can download them at no additional cost and play them off of your xbox you know their their selection is is fine they've got the whole fable series on there they've got uh mass effect one they've got they've got the whole gears of war series to date on there actually they've got halo wars one and two uh they've got some solid stuff on there but nothing Nothing that makes you want to pay them $10 a month, which is what the subscription cost is. However, with this announcement, Sea of Thieves is getting added as an Xbox Game Pass title the day it comes out. And I've been interested in Sea of Thieves. I think that it looks neat, but I didn't know if it looked by $60 when it comes (laughs) out neat. So instead you'll pay $120 for the course of the year for it. (laughs) Well, no, because... All I have to do to play Sea of Thieves is spend $10 in the month of March. Oh. Oh, so it's not like it, PS it, Plus where once you quit the service, the game goes away? Uh, it is like that. When you, quit the, when you quit the service, you don't have access to the game anymore. I guess maybe what I should say is I can spend as little as $10. Yeah, I can spend go. as little as $10 to enjoy Sea of Thieves. I might end up spending more so that I can keep playing Sea of Thieves. But I think that's really great. And I think it's really smart for Microsoft because I feel like there's a lot of Xbox owners out there that don't buy more than two first-party Microsoft games a year. I know that I'm one of those people. I have an Xbox One, and out of the games you just listed, the only one I was even thinking of buying was Sea of Thieves, and I kind of had Crackdown 3 on my radar. If I decide to subscribe to xbox game pass and i just let it keep running so that i can take advantage of future releases like that 
I'll be spending $120 over the course of a year, which is more than the 60 I would have spent right, right, to right. maybe experience Sea of Thieves. So I, I think that's super smart of them. And apparently they've mentioned that this is just the beginning for them making Xbox Game Pass a bigger deal. They want to they wanna give you more incentives to subscribe to Game Pass in the future. So if this is just a start, I think that's really awesome and it's a good step for Microsoft. I think to refine what I said earlier, this doesn't matter to my life now. Right. What could be interesting is if this puts pressure on PlayStation and the P- PS Plus service to have better games available monthly on PS Plus, or maybe not necessarily better, but larger AAA games, costlier games for sure. I agree with that. Actually, one thing that's really interesting is right after Microsoft announced that Game Pass initiative, Sony announced its PS Plus games for February, and they're the best PS Plus games that we've gotten in months. Knack, the first Knack for uh, for PS4, which has gotten mixed reviews, but it's still a AAA first-party game. Uh, Rhyme, which is a very critically acclaimed Mm -hmm. indie deal. Some other stuff, but uh, notably Grand Kingdom for, uh, for PS4 and PS Vita which is a very cool smaller title that I think it's like the side scrolling RPG that I I've actually been considering recommending to you. So, Oh, cool. So you, you should download it, but not play it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then keep my PS plus active. (laughs) But yeah, I think, you know, just to get back to that point, one of the criticisms people generally have of, of PS Plus is, on the whole, it doesn't feature a lot of AAA games. Yeah. And I think you could have one opinion or another about that. Personally, it doesn't super bother me. Um, mm-hmm. I would have PS Plus even if it didn't come with free games just because I want to be able to play online. So I think ultimately, it'll be interesting to see if this does have an effect on the ecosystem of PS Plus and if it forces PlayStation to start putting more AAA games through that service. Yeah. Um, but I think also interestingly... And this ties into a news item also from this time period. Yeah. Is if this will have any effect on Nintendo, who pretty much doesn't give a shit <laughs> about their online system and service in general. Yeah, I think the answer to that might be yes, actually. Uh, this is a great transition, actually. Nintendo did their earnings report this week, along with their investor strategy meeting. And during the investor strategy meeting, they made a couple smaller announcements. One of them being that their paid online service, Nintendo Online, is going to be launching in September 2018. With no additional details. (laughs) Yeah, none at all. Didn't tell us anything else about... Well, they told us the amount. Yeah. They didn't tell us anything else about what will be on that service. They did say say one thing, and that's that they're, they're currently looking at at ways to make that valuable and that's a meaningless yeah. thing to say yeah they you're right that's a right. value is subjective <laughs> valuable, valuable to whom nintendo yeah but but they're currently looking at some cool things to make the oh, subscription so they work. say yeah well sometimes they're right <laughs> <laughs> just historically not with online <laughs> they haven't even guaranteed that you'll be able to chat with your friends well there is there is already a voice chat feature you just have to use an app on your phone it's... i hope you at home are starting to get an appreciation for the level of nintendo fandom i have to work through on a day-to-day basis here. i'm i'm just i don't think it's a good thing i'm just dropping it that essentially might as well i mean yeah it's a fact but it also might as well hurt the argument rather than help it. oh no it, it does i think i think their voice chat system is garbage i think it's really stupid but it's technically there oh, okay all right yeah 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no details at all, and they probably don't even want to talk about it right now, but they probably felt obligated to bring it up during their investors meeting that was an announcement for us it was an announcement for their investors yeah i mean well they had been talking about it in 2017 yeah and, and promising it so i think it made sense yes to say this time anyway yeah i i agree it's interesting that they're picking september 2018 and i feel like down the line they're going to be announcing a multiplayer focused game that takes advantage of their online system to be releasing that month a lot of speculation says this might be when we finally get that enhanced version of Smash Bros. Wii U. They'll make us pay to play that online finally. <laughs> well, yeah, that that would be a, a smart timing. Yeah. To to release those together. Yes. Especially because I think that would potentially distract people from the lack of services that they're getting for what they're paying. Yeah. If they have a game to play that they've been looking to play. Yeah. Because I I sincerely doubt. Maybe I'll be wrong. I sincerely doubt we'll see substantive services tied to that online service in 2018. You're... I think if there's anything interesting that happens with online and Nintendo, yeah. it won't happen immediately. <laughs> You're probably right. I th I feel like it's going to launch with one weird little very Nintendo thing. <laughs> like one like one thing they've already mentioned is that Nintendo Online is going to have a a free monthly virtual console game that you can play online. And I feel like I feel like we'll get that at launch, and we'll also get another probably like weird little thing. Yeah, like a monthly poll, probably. <laughs> do you put your shoes on first or your socks each month? Nintendo, what do you think? I played too much of the Everybody Votes channel for the Wii. I yes, played that way too much. Uh <laughs> and they also incorporated a similar thing to Splatoon too. Like they just love making people vote online. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there'll be a weird little thing that only Nintendo's doing that maybe won't be a legit incentive to get it. But honestly, the price point that they've announced, which is twenty bucks a year. Right. If you're if you're charging me only that much to play my video games online with a decent server setup, then any other features you give me on top of that are really like a big bonus. That's a fair point. The The price point is so much lower than its competitors. Exactly. I think as long as it has stable quality online service yeah. and the ability to do what you want with your friends yes. that you make through the system, yeah, yes. I think there won't be really much room for complaining. Yeah, if, if they could just friggin' put all the online functionality <laughs> on the system and not relegate some of it to your phone. Right then that will be a step in the right direction. Hopefully they realize that. It's Hopefully. Nintendo, it's, it's Nintendo, so that's a coin flip. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go into too much detail on all the figures that the earnings report had. Yeah, we talked a lot about how well the Switch sold in general last year. Yeah. I don't think we need to belabor that point. Yeah, uh, but one landmark that it is fun to at least mention is that uh, they've now sold 14.86 Switch units worldwide, which means... They've officially been in their Wii U lifetime sales. That is impressive. Yeah. Well, it'd be more impressive if we were selling other than the Wii U. But... <laughs> no, uh, it's impressive. But yeah, we, we mentioned in a previous podcast that they were getting close to doing that and that by the next time we're talking about Switch news, that would probably have passed that milestone. So hey, we were right. We got something right. Yeah, we were right. That's worth celebrating. Yeah. That happens so rarely. <laughs> 
but yeah, basically the gist of it is that the Switch and a lot of their games have made a lot of money yeah. and sold a lot of copies, and that's really great. Also, uh, the Minions guys are making a Mario movie. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they could actually do a great job. No, the Minions movies are pretty good. I've. <laughs> it's funny because I've never watched Despicable any of the Despicable Me movies or the Minions movie, but when I watch the Minions trailer, <laughs> when I watch the trailer for the Minions movie, I'm like, this is a really cute trailer, and I see some of the charm that this could have. I think there are two kinds of people in the world. I think the kinds of people who immediately think that the Minions are cute and funny and the people who go into a Despicable Me movie expecting to hate the Minions and then come out begrudgingly loving them. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone in the world who actually just hates Minions because I don't think it's possible or you haven't seen the movie. You're just like, they're, they're all, yeah, you, you can't get around it. No, like, I, I ended up getting a little charmed by the Minions based off of a two-minute trailer. So I figure that they're actually pretty adorable yeah. in the movies, which I haven't watched. Well, it will definitely be a more adorable Mario movie than the last Mario movie, which is maybe the opposite of adorable. So they're certainly going in a different direction. We can say that safely. I still miss Bob Hoskins. Yeah, well, let's have a moment of silence (laughs) for your friend and mine. Oh, man. Bob Hoskins. All right. (laughs) And news of other things that are going away before their time. Ha! Three nice, nice transition. Sorry. Go not on. if you're related to Bob Hoskins. Three, <laughs> three games or game services have announced that they are ending their services soon. Uh, Paragon will be closing April 26. Mitomo will be shutting down May 9th, and Gigantic will be cutting off its server July 31st. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that these three services basically announced that they're closing down around the same time. Yeah, it's. It's weird. There's, I feel like there's a lot of like new things that are blowing up in the industry right now. So it's funny to kind of hear about the stuff that failed, right. you know, uh, especially like all squished together like that. I thought Paragon was doing way better than it turned out it was doing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I mean, thought... I'm friends with a Pittsburgh Steeler football <laughs> player on PSN for reasons. I think one day he tweeted like, if you had me on PlayStation, I were glad you back. So I did, because I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And <laughs> he played Paragon a lot. So, you know. Yeah. That was really my only experience with Paragon, was <laughs> occasionally seeing it pop up in my notifications that this Pittsburgh Steeler, hey Vince Williams, was uh, playing <laughs> was <laughs> was playing Paragon. Hey, hey Vince, see you for lunch later. Oh man, I wish. <laughs> He's a cool dude, that Vince Williams. So the Steelers have this trifecta of players whose last name or first name starts with or uh, B, and they call them the Killer Bees. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, during the season, Vince Williams changed his name on Twitter to Vince Williams and started calling himself a Killer that's, Bee. That's really cute. I think it tells you a little bit about the yeah. kind of guy that Vince Williams no, is. That's, that's he has my heart. What are we I, talking about? We're talking about video games. Yeah, I did think that Paragon was. Oh, yeah, Paragon. <laughs> I didn't think that Paragon was doing better than it was. I thought it was a pretty popular MOBA. I even, like, tried it out. Didn't really have a good time, but I don't really like MOBAs. Yeah, me either. But uh, I, I guess not. They, like, did this whole press release that they were like, we realized that this wasn't really something we could keep doing. So we're giving everyone a full refund. I think they offered everyone a full refund. Oh, that's cool. Yeah on any Paragon purchases they made, which is really awesome of them. And 
Yeah, that's kind of sad. Mitomo, I'm less surprised about. Sure. I feel like Mitomo was that game that everyone in the world played for three days <laughs> and then never touched again. My only, the only thing I enjoyed doing with Mitomo was making the most horrific voice I could <laughs> for my me. <laughs> I spent like half an hour crafting this horrendous voice of Satan. It it really. Hold on. <laughs> That is terrible radio, but also exactly what the Mitomo sounded like. This is my Mitomo voice. How are you doing that? Uh, I used to be so much better at it. That's impressive. I'm I'm, I'm out of uh, Max's terrible Mitomo voice practice. (laughs) This is, we have to stop, because I can imagine how terrible this sounds for anyone listening on headphones right now. No, please, Daniel, don't, no, God. Hold on. I, oh, man. I should have updated Mitomo so I could just, like, play It's okay. It. Yeah. I think they got the point. Yeah. Anyway, that was my experience with Mitomo. It's horrifying. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I played it for, like, a month. I had a good time with it, but I'm probably not going to miss it when it's gone. No. Yeah. It's, it's most interesting because Nintendo usually commits at least a little to its stuff, and this one, they're just like, yeah, we're done after <laughs> a year. Yeah. Gigantic is something yeah. that you you were into for a while. Well, I didn't play it, but I I'm bummed that it's going away because I I liked it conceptually. So Gigantic is it's it's like Overwatch if Overwatch were actually a MOBA, right? Which I thought was a kind of it seemed like a neat idea for a oh, game. Yeah, yeah, that's um, cool. The gra- it was kind of beautiful. The characters all seemed unique, and I liked a lot of their designs. So I'm I'm kind of bummed to see that it didn't work out and that it <laughs> failed so quickly. Also. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of a sad time for games. Let's shed a tear. Kind of a oh sad time for games. <laughs> oh, Why? You didn't, you didn't like it when I would play Mitomo, and now you're subjecting all of our listeners to this? Other people need to experience this besides me before Mitomo goes away I forever. thought I was the monster, but really the monster is you. This is our time capsule. We're, oh, we're time cool. capsuling your voice right now. Dig this podcast up in 50 years. <laughs> uh Anyway, I really wish that we had some interstitial music to play in between uh, the news segment and the rest of the podcast. But since we don't, you'll just have to hear me say, now we're going to talk about other things. <laughs> Daniel, what have you been playing? Maybe we'll ask Sean to do that. <laughs> that. That man does enough work. We'll leave him alone. Okay. I guess now we're going to talk about games we've been playing besides the the recommended title spoiler nothing for me <laughs> yeah i was about to ask like have you been playing anything besides no, persona 5 yeah that's fair not. that's fair that seems like that probably demands a lot of your time for some reason i don't know who would ask you to do that for five weeks of your life uh, i do <laughs> i know exactly who would do that i've been playing that's okay i've been playing enough other games for the both of us i think uh five weeks is a long time so i've been playing a lot of different stuff I guess the first thing I'll talk about is Street Fighter V Arcade Edition came out. I was looking forward to that, and I took it to a fighting game tournament. You uh, took it? I Well, you know, I, I played it. Oh. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I played, and I ended up playing it at a fighting game tournament. There's a local tournament here in Chicago called Frosty Faustings, where people got to compete in a bunch of fighting games. So I played Street Fighter V there. And I think I got eliminated immediately. Yeah, I I lost twice in a row. Were you fighting with Dan? Dan is not in Street Fighter Five. Oh, all right. Yeah, uh, I. They've w- saved you from yourself. <laughs> I was playing as Birdie, this 
big beefy guy with chains who can like throw his opponents around. It's a really fun playstyle, but the people who were playing against me were much better than me. I was very out of practice, but I still had a lot of fun. And shortly after that, Dragon Ball Fighters came out. That's right. And Dragon Ball Fighters is really cool. I actually really like that game a lot. I just beat Story Mode a couple days ago. And Story Mode in Dragon Ball Fighters is so much better than it needs to be. First of all, if you've played any Dragon Ball games in the past, what they generally do is just retell the story of the anime <laughs> over and over and over again. And sometimes they mix it up by making it a game where you time travel and disrupt the events of the same Dragon Ball events that you've experienced over and over. Dragon Ball Fighters does something completely different. It's set in the current time period of, like, Dragon... Like, it's set during, basically, the Dragon Ball Super timeline. A bunch of people are adults, right? You got adult Gohan running around. And instead of making it a retelling of anything, it's just a brand new story where this new android shows up, Android 21, and she creates a bunch of zombie clones of the Dragon Ball cast that you fight in sort of this RPG gameplay where you go around on this map and you fight clone versions of yourselves and you level up your characters and sounds a little bit like the soul caliber. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Kind of. And as, as you go, uh, you can sometimes rescue other playable characters from, from clones on the map and then recruit them onto your team and you get to formulate your team that way. And one great thing is that uh, before every match, if you have a specific team lineup where you're, where you're fighting a specific enemy with a specific character on your team, a little cutscene plays where those characters like talk and have a dialogue. And those scenes are all so funny and so like they they really leverage a lot of these dynamics that I didn't think about and it's just great to have Vegeta on the team the whole time and he just angrily straight mans everything. There's a bit where the main cast has to like team up with Cell and Frieza to stop this bigger force. Goku, Vegeta, and Piccolo were talking about it and Piccolo's like, I don't think we can trust Frieza and Cell. They're probably going to destroy, try to destroy the world after we're done saving the world with them. And Goku's like, yeah, they they do try to blow up the world a lot, don't they? I'm glad you're not doing that anymore, Vegeta. Just shut up, Kakarot! We promised we'd never talk about that again! Uh, I don't know. I <laughs> Was that story worth telling? <laughs> I got to do a bunch of voices? So... Uh, you can cut me asking that. I'm just asking you. <laughs> uh... <laughs> it's really cute. It's Story mode is something that I really like about the game that I wasn't expecting to get into that much, and it helps that the game itself is a lot of fun. The fighting game system has a lot of fun meat to it, and it's also really accessible. There's a lot of different auto combos you can do by just mashing one button over and over. And once you get online, that's no longer viable at all, but... <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I... Yeah, I, I'm already getting my keister uh, walloped uh, <laughs> online a lot. But okay. <laughs> I haven't played the game, but I do have a, I have a bone to pick with, with it. Is, is it Bandai Namco? Bandai Namco, yeah. So I so they have come out and said the game is pronounced Dragon Ball Fighters. <laughs> yeah. But the title is spelled 
fighters with a, with a capital Z. Yeah. Not just the Z. If it was a lowercase Z, I'd have no problem with them wanting to call it fighters. Yeah. But they made it a capital Z. <laughs> it is Dragon Ball Fighter Z. That yeah. is how that game should be pronounced. Yeah. And I have I, I don't I don't approve of Bandai Namco's. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that too. I I pronounce it with a hard Z every time fighters if that's what they wanted, then they should have made it a lowercase z. Yeah. I, I get it. They're trying to be like cute with Dragon Ball Z. But then yeah. just let us call it Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Yeah, or Dragon Ball Fighters. They don't even <laughs> let us do that. They're like, no, it's Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah, if they hear you doing Fighters. it, they actually turn off your system. <laughs> your band. They have a kill switch. <laughs> Maybe that's why their online sucks right now for me. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're <laughs> shit talking the game. Yeah. All right, so have you been playing anything else in the, in these uh, five weeks? Yes, I have. I also played through the entirety of What Remains of Edith Finch. Oh, cool. After my girlfriend Amy's recommendation last episode. Right. Uh, not an official recommendation, but it was her favorite game of the year, so... It's a tacit yeah, recommendation. Right. Uh, it's not a play this recommendation, but a recommendation nonetheless. How many more times can we shove recommendation into this <laughs> anyway, segment? Anyway, Amy Lee's recommendation <laughs> of what remains of Edith Finch, I, it went on sale shortly afterwards. So I bought it and played through the whole thing. It's really cool. It's really neat. I don't want to say too much about it, but it sort of lets you experience a lot of different stories through sort of these vignettes that you can unlock. And some of the vignettes are incredibly cool. That game is definitely like a pretty strong argument for video games as an art form. But yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I think it's a very worthwhile experience. And then I started two games. I started Night in the Woods, because that came out for Switch finally. And I also got Pokemon Crystal on the Virtual Console and have started my Nuzlocke run. Oh, yeah. So who did you end up starting with? I started with Totodile. Okay. Yeah. Decided not to make life hard on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I I thought that was a good middle-of-the-road pick. I named her Sue. No. After Sue the T-Rex, I got a girl Totodile. Cool. That's a Chicago reference for you out there, Sue the T-Rex. Yeah. Come see her at the uh, Field Museum. I think she's moving away from the first floor now. She's got her own exhibit space up on... uh, a dinosaur floor, I think. Oh, yeah. good, good for Sue. Yeah, good, good for Sue. Although I, I think they're, uh, I think they're using they them pronouns now. So good for. Oh well, good for them. Yeah, good for them. And Night in the Woods is also solid. It's actually a slower start than I anticipated. Oh, okay. And boy, boy, there's a lot of load screens in that game. Really? Yeah. Huh. And apparently that's not just a Switch thing. Apparently the oh. PC version is also just loaded. With loading screens, it kind Weird. of it breaks up the pacing pretty bad, actually. Well, this is a bummer. I was actually looking forward to getting that when I was done with Persona Five. Yeah, I I'm still having a good time. There's still some very cute moments, and the slow start kind of ends once you you're introduced to the protagonist's like best friend character, Greg. He's he's this dog, he's this gay dog, and he's just adorable. I I love Greg, and I've only spent like. 10 minutes of game time with Greg so far. But I feel if there's a lot of Greg in this game, it'll just improve quality-wise. I think the loading screens will be worth it if there's a lot of Greg in this game. But yeah, I'll be interested to hear more of your thoughts as you get further along into the game, because that's one that I was definitely excited to get for the Switch. And I hope that the loading screen thing, as you get more into the pacing of it, goes away. 
a little bit um, yeah or at least is less noticeable yes um so yeah i'll definitely be curious to hear your thoughts next time yeah because i i do want to play that game too so i haven't been playing anything (laughs) because i've been playing almost 100 hours of persona 5 (laughs) which is a lot of time yeah i I know we had a little bit of extra time for me to play this game but even still that's still a lot of time (laughs) oh yeah yeah absolutely i guess this is really as good a time as any to just fucking get into it yeah let's talk about persona 5 all right so uh persona 5 i recommended to you uh little while ago now and you've had a lot of time to play it so persona 5 is a game by atlas mm-hmm. um and they make the shin megami tensai series which persona 5 the persona series is a part of yeah it's a spin-off it's of, a spin-off yeah. of yeah so persona 5 is a uh, the fifth in a series of big old long form jrpgs yeah uh, it's not uncommon for the games to take over 100 hours each yeah um they tell you know far-reaching stories um generally about uh, teenagers and the experiences of them in modern Japan. Um, and there is a blending of demonic elements, which is the inspiration from the Shin Megami series, which is much more tied into the demonic thing. But in uh, the Persona series, you're generally playing as um, humans who have access to these demonic powers. So Persona 5 specifically is a game. Um, it's kind of like a heist story yeah. uh, where you're playing this group of teenagers who are trying to steal people's hearts and you go through a series of palaces to do so. Yeah. And the overarching story it's telling is kind of a police narrative, um, an investigative narrative yeah. um, about um, it, it. It's hard to talk about without spoiling. Yeah. And I don't even know all of it yet. <laughs> um, but it has implications for all of J- Japanese society, essentially. Yeah. And you are these um, these rebellious teens who are enacting all these heists yeah. to kind of fix society. Yeah. And disrupt it. Yeah. So we are going to start with some spoiler-free talk when we're going to get into spoilers and stuff. We'll we'll warn you guys. I guess to start, overall, what'd you think of Persona 5? Overall, I'd say Persona 5 is probably one of my favorite games I've ever played. Wow. Um, It's really good. And I think what I really appreciate about it and what... So I also say, I think I might have said this before, but like just for clarity, I'll say it again. I have never played a Persona game before. This is my first um, entry into the Persona franchise. I don't know why I didn't play Persona 4, because we were really good friends when you got really into it. Yeah. Um, for the first time, and you were talking about it a lot, and I just didn't get around to playing it. I think probably in the back of my mind, I knew that I wasn't ready for a game of that <laughs> length even then. That's fair. And also, one of the things that you always talked about it was you know the caveat of how much you had to grind in that game yeah and no one likes grinding so that also kind of put me off but so that all being said um i think this is probably one of my favorite games of all time it's certainly one of my favorite jrpgs of all time which i think is kind of an interesting topic for a future date but i think it's definitely mm. up there for me with final fantasy 10 and final fantasy 7 and one of the things that i appreciate about it the most is there aren't quite so many well plotted jrpgs yeah um, it's obviously fantastical. It's obviously, you know, not realistic in any way, but the pacing of it, the plotting of it all feels real. Yeah. In a way that like when you're, you know, hunting down Jehovah, maybe <laughs> doesn't. No, I, yeah. Um, there's a clarity to it. I think that a lot of JRPGs don't often get right. The story holds together. And I think what most evidence is that is the tether between what the palace is and the 
the the archetype of the villain you're fighting within it. Yeah, they're all really smart, yeah. really well thought out, and really cool. Awesome. Um, tedious, <laughs> but that's a different conversation. That's gameplay. I'm just talking about the thought behind the game and the story of the game. Right. And I think that more than anything is why I love it so much. Awesome. Um, because it is an amalgamation of a couple of different gaming mechanics that are all done extraordinarily well, but not perfectly. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> that balance has a lot of friction within it. I feel like, um, yeah. So there are a lot of, there. Are, I think there are a couple of things in Persona 5 that are limiting factors for it. But what keeps you coming back is the story. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a really well done story. There's a lot of problematic content that we will talk about. Oh, yeah. We are not going to be shy about that. Yes. Um, but I think talking positively first, mm-hmm. um, that that's just how I feel 90-some hours into the game. Yeah. Is that I, by this point in a lot of JRPGs, <laughs> you start to feel like, what's the point? <laughs> Why am I still subjecting myself to this? Right. And I am actually still curious. Nice. And I think that that sense tends to go away in JRPGs faster I, in my opinion, and I think probably for a lot of people, like you don't get hooked that way. Yeah, I did it. I I got one. I I gave you a good one. I'm so happy. Hey, well, you didn't give me bad one before. Well, yeah, but that's... no, this was obviously the most successful. Uh, but it's also the grandest scale, so you know. Yeah, it's not surprising. Well, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised the degree to which you've enjoyed it. Sure, I, I thought you would like it at least a bit so man that's awesome yeah no i love it cool one thing that i do want to bring up is last episode i struggled a lot with which persona to give you right Right. between persona 4 and persona 5 yes one of the reasons i chose persona 5 over persona 4 is because i thought it was a less slow start than persona 4 and i claimed it had the best jrpg opening sequence that I'd ever experienced. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up again because as I was playing, I was like, why does he think that? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, what's, where does that opinion come from? I think I, it's a fine opening sequence. I just, man. I didn't think it was special. So, uh, this this literally talks about the first hour of the game. That's, so Yeah, I don't think that counts as a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, but the game starts in media's res, right? Like, yeah. it, it starts with you infiltrating this casino and then you get caught and and interrogated and i know i just really love the way it sets up a lot of the overarching things that happen in the game like right off the bat in like a lot of really clever ways you get to name your character by by writing it down on a confession that the police forces you to sign i guess one reason i love it so much is just it contrasts so much with the way the persona 4 opened which is much slower <laughs> the the opening of persona 4 is you getting... right so you're saying that with the context i don't have so yeah that's fair yeah that's yeah and i'm realizing that now so it's it's so much more fair that it didn't hook you yeah. in the way that it hooked me which is like oh man we're we're already in it and that's great because it took you like five hours to be <laughs> even kind of in it in persona oh, 4 yeah, yeah, yeah. a game that i still fucking adore just sure. to be clear yeah, I, I think it's a strong opening, but I think without that same, you know, historical context, it, it didn't feel that way to me. Um, but it is a good way to get the game started. That's fair. Okay, so I think we're going to jump into spoilers now. Yeah, spoilers now. now. Max, you're near the end of the seventh dungeon in the game. Correct. If you are someone that likes, that is interested in Persona 5 and has only gotten partway through, you haven't gotten past that point yet, you should probably 
look at the timestamps that I provided in the description below so that uh, you don't get spoiled because we're going to be talking about all that stuff. Right. However, if you have beaten the game or you don't care about spoilers for whatever reason. You don't need to say that. <laughs> get ready for the ride. <clears throat> okay. So now that we're in spoiler territory, I'll say specifically okay. where I am is I'm about to fight um, the fourth mini boss in Shido's Palace. Yes. Um, so I don't know what comes after that. Uh, Daniel and I talked a little bit about it off camera. And there's about a one and a half dungeons left for me after this one. I do think I will be finishing the game probably in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Um, but so that's where I am currently. I want to have the conversation about the problematic content up front. Okay. I don't want to bury it. Yeah. I want to be upfront about our feelings about the problems of this game. I, because I they are real. And I think that they are bad for the industry. I, I agree completely. And I think cool. before we have any other conversation about Persona, I, I do think we want to get this out of the way. Open and early. Yeah. So Persona 5 is a game with a really interesting, pretty well-told overarching narrative. Yeah. A, a, a lot of which is about adults not trusting teenagers. Yes. The characters in Persona 5 are almost exclusively wonderfully drawn, <laughs> three-dimensional characters that you love and root for. Yeah. And one of the things that drives me crazy about this game is how they have undermined both of those by relying and insisting on problematic interactions specifically gender related yep this could be a, a whole podcast in itself <laughs> because they do it so frequently and so egregiously and so across the board that it almost at at times it almost made me stop playing the game that is incredibly well worded and i agree i love persona 5 but one of the things it does that's really frustrating is it introduces a lot of really important themes and lessons and then botches them completely. It doesn't just botch them, it undermines them. Yeah. It's it it takes the the theme they're trying to get across and a lot of times succeeded in getting across. Yeah. And then completely trivializes it. Yeah. And makes a joke out of it. Yeah, yes. And that is so frustrating, especially in this day and age. You and I talk a lot about what games that ha that are highlighting positive movement in the industry on these topics yeah uh, inclusivity um mm -hmm. equity diversity yeah um you know recognition of 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 an explosion of the gender binary yeah like most like most of the games we've recommended to each other do a great job at advancing that pyre touches on that really yeah. well undertale has so much diversity even though it's a cast of little monsters you know which isn't it it, it isn't at all to pat us on the back yeah. it sounds like maybe that's what this is and no, I, no, and I no. don't mean that that way at all no of course not but this is a real thing yeah. that is happening in this industry. Yeah. And this is a real thing that is being pushed back against in this industry yeah. in depressing and frustrating ways. Yeah. And it's, and it's remained vocal and virulent. Yeah. Despite the fact that the industry progresses anyway, which is beautiful in its own regard. Right. Yeah. But to have a game that gets so close to telling these important and wonderful stories mm -hmm. and then to make a joke out of it yeah. is painful. Yeah. And I'm not a party that's affected by it. You know, I'm, I'm a bystander <laughs> in, in these specific issues. Yeah. So to get, we're talking a little theoretically here and I want to get specific. I want to call, I want to name it. Yeah. So there are a couple things I want to talk about. Um, the first of which is, the setup of Persona is it's a massive JRPG yeah. that also has dating sim elements. Yes. 
Okay. One of the things that I think is a really harmful message, a, a very harmful message, is that any woman you come across is available for you to date. Mm, I think okay. that that is insanely misrepresentative. Yeah. And set and, and sets such a bad um, message for the game. There's only one woman you meet in this game who's a man, who's an actual character. Yeah. Who you can't date, and that's Sai Nijima. <laughs> And let's also say that Sai is the sister of a character who you can date. Yeah. Makoto, who is actually who I ended up dating. So I'm complicit oh, in this, by the oh, way. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm compl- I will say that <laughs> by playing this game and choosing to date someone, I'm complicit in the game. Like, let's not put ourselves on a pedestal here. Right. I'm de- yeah. decrying this thing, but I also participated in it. Yeah, same. I have two problems with this setup. Yeah. One is that the idea of dating as buffet, I think, is extraordinarily dangerous hmm, and yeah. irresponsible. Yeah. And it's kind of a setup of how dating sims work is that you talk to people, you spend time with them, and then you give them gifts, and then they like you. Yeah. And that already is a misrepresentation of what a relationship is in a really weird way. It makes relationships very transactional, which relationships aren't. Yeah. Um, But it also just sets up this dynamic where your expectation becomes when you see a woman, you can date her. Not great in a game. Correct. What's also on the other side of the coin problematic about it is you can only date women. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily always a problem because if a game is writing a character and that is true to that character, there's nothing wrong with that character only liking women. Right. Persona 5 kind of dabbles a little bit on both sides because you can name the character. Yeah. So you do get a little bit of ownership over the protagonist. You can't change their appearance. Yeah. You can't change anything else about them. So you don't have full ownership. So I don't really mind from that angle. I know some people get it like, I'm the protagonist. I want to do whatever I want. Right. Not all games are set up that way. Yeah, this game isn't really set up that way, but in a world <laughs> in mm. which every woman is the object of your desire, yeah, to have this the opposite not be true for men yeah. is this is a, a continuance of the same problem. Yeah, it's and, women are objects for us to acquire. Yeah, and men aren't. And I think a couple things I want to say about that specifically: the fact that you can't date men. Uh, one of the things is it never, the game never really establishes whether or not you, the player character, are attracted to men. They just happen to have no, no main male characters in the game that are interested in men for you to deal with at all. Right. Uh, which was incredibly disappointing because one of the things, one of the things about Persona 4 is that there's... There's several characters that sort of have their sexualities and gender identities explored, and while those don't necessarily end in very satisfying ways, uh, it made me excited for Persona Five because I'm like, they're going to go to the next level. They're going to give us like, like they're going to give us characters that like are actually just explicitly gay or or you know or explicitly like gender fluid or whatever. And uh, they took steps backwards, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Persona 4, uh, this was a feature that got taken out in the full version, but found hidden in the code of the game was an option to date your male best friend character. Really? Yeah. So in Pers- I thought, they're going to go for it in Persona 5. They did not go for it in Persona 5. In fact, they went in the opposite direction. So while you're saying are fine with with glazing over that i was incredibly disappointed sure, by it. Yeah. yeah and let me also say if there's anyone out there who's listening to this podcast and getting mad at us for shoving our liberal agenda into video games <laughs> let me just say this isn't a liberal agenda 
<laughs> there are a, an array of lived experiences in this world. Yeah. And video games, frankly, do not need to continue limited worldviews. Yeah. The history of video games over the last 30 years is a history of presenting a limited worldview. Yeah. There are, of course, exceptions within that. But that is not representative of the world we live in. Yeah. And there's nothing at all wrong if you want to tell a story about a heterosexual main character who likes women. That's not, (laughs) neither of us are saying that that is a problem. Yeah. What we are saying is you cannot erase or ignore the multitude of lived experiences that exist in the world while also setting up a, um, a, a mechanism by which you can literally date any woman you see <laughs> if you try hard enough and get her the right gift yeah, especially, you can't, you can't yeah. have those things happen and not have us call you out for it especially because persona 5 is a game that is about a multitude of lived experiences like persona 5 is a game that takes all these characters that are considered minorities in society you know yeah. that's literally the setup yeah that is literally the setup of the game. Yeah. Is that, that that is what unites your characters. Yeah, like every main every every main character, every important character that you can interact with is an outcast from Japanese society in some way. Right, and or a the, cat, <laughs> or a talking cat. And the <laughs> fact that this game ignores one of the biggest marginalized groups in Japan is so. It ignores its own message when it does that, and that's really frustrating. At the sake of, we could we could keep going, but at the <laughs> sake of not making this the only talking point of the podcast, right? Let's move on to to another problem, which is the character of Antakamaki. So, yeah, the first dungeon that you fight, the first boss that you fight, is a teacher named Kamashita, mm-hmm. who, and, and I guess a little bit more backstory for those of you who aren't familiar with Persona and don't plan on playing and are listening to the spoiler section. Um, you, you, these dungeons is what they're called in the game is palaces and palaces are a non-real representation of a character's, um, uh, um, twisted desires. Yeah. So characters that have extraordinarily twisted desires will have a palace that you can go into and steal the treasure from that character. And when you do so, you fix their rotten desires. Yeah. Uh, you're essentially jumping into their psyche and, and, and taking the evil out basically. Essentially. Yeah. The first character, the one that is like the tutorial palace, yeah. is Kamashita, who's a teacher at your school. Uh, he is in charge of the volleyball team. Yeah. And Kamashita has a number of problems with him. He um, is a bad teacher. Yeah. He abuses his students. And he also is attempting to engage in a sexual relationship with students, yeah. which we'll get into a lot for my third problem. But mm. in relation to my <laughs> second problem, um, Kamashita, when you fight him, is a severed penis. <laughs> uh, the boss itself is a severed penis and the 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 story there is that there's a friend of ans who's one of your um party members who is in a relationship with kamashita so that she can be on the volleyball team and then she attempts to commit suicide yeah and the point of that dungeon the entire point of that dungeon the the, the issue in society that that dungeon is thematically tackling is is men preying on women yeah and viewing women solely as sexual beings yeah now if you listen to our first problem you'll already mm. hear how the game undermines that very theme yeah it continues to undermine that very theme through the character of Antakamaki, who is a half american half japanese girl 
who um, is pale, has blonde hair and blue eyes, and is exoticized for her look and romanticized for her look. Yeah. And almost every interaction in the game with her that is not through your character is about her sexuality. Yeah. Including another party member, Ryuji, who <laughs> continuously sexualizes her. But the game continuously sexualizes her. There's a scene um, when you go to the beach with your party. And the first thing that the game does is zoom in on the crotch region of all the girls you're with, yeah. starting with on. Yeah. They continuously undermine this theme that they set up by doing the very thing to on that a character that you vilify does. Yeah. I. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Yeah. At who greenlit that decision? <laughs> yeah. I... It's literally insane to me. <laughs> I, I fully agree. I want to say as a sidebar, actually, that... I was worried that you'd quit the game after you experienced the beach sequence because <laughs> because that that is like the most awful part of this game and I would not have blamed you for quitting. Sure. I agree with everything you just said. They they do actually a really good job making Kamashita a really hateable villain. Right. And and during his specific arc pointing out that men who only sexualize women and view them as objects are fucking gross and shouldn't do it and sh and should like suffer consequences for doing that and and on in that specific arc got some really great character development when she has the opportunity to kill this guy uh tells him to turn himself in instead then later when the character's going like oh wow that was really that was really sweet and merciful of you to spare him and have him turn himself in she's like i didn't I didn't do that to be sweet or merciful. I did it so that he can suffer consequences for what he did for the yeah. rest of his fucking life. That when she did that, I was like, okay, An is an amazing character. She's yeah. such a great character. And then immediately after that, uh, she has an arc where she has to do nude modeling to distract right. someone so that the rest of the group can do a heist. And Not just someone, but someone who joins your party. Someone who joins your party <laughs> and continues to want to draw her nude. Uh, which is uh, which is this whole other... But see, what you got to there is something that is, is a true conflicting feeling for me, which is that I do love the character of An. I think yeah. she's... Especially in the interactions that you have with her in your one-on-one -on -one scenes as the protagonist, yeah. she's a really well-made character. She's she extraordinarily th three-dimensional. She's she's a really well-written character. And like, I yeah. just have to imagine that a different person wrote those scenes <laughs> right? and wrote the literal rest of the game. <laughs> yeah. Because I can't imagine giving praise to the same person who did all this other bullshit. Yeah. I feel like the, the team writing these character arcs and the team animating the cutscenes right. are different people. And, unless you think we're making mountains out of molehills here. This is literally tethered through the whole game. Yeah. A, a point in case, when you're driving through Mementos, which is the level up area that you go to that's kind of a secondary part of the game. Yeah. There is uh, occasional interstitial dialogue that kind of just happens just to pass the time. Yeah, it's cute. And um, I also say that while I've been playing this game, Stephanie's been like sitting on the couch and watching a lot of it with me. She's really loved um, mm -hmm. a lot of the story of the game, though she also sometimes gets up and leaves because of some of the interactions with the women. Yeah. And it drives her crazy as well. But... The one that I think has driven her the most crazy is when you're in Mementos, An has this line of dialogue that she'll sometimes say, which is like, hmm, this top feels tight. Are they getting bigger again? And then, oh, no. And then Mona, who's the cat who's uh. somehow in love with An, whatever, <laughs> says, wait, speak up, Lady An. I think that's important information for our adventure. Uh. And like... First of all, as Stephanie so wonderfully pointed out, that's not how boobs work. But second of <laughs> all, like... 
is what is the reason for something like that existing outside of some deranged idea of fan service? A character who's a teenager yeah. talking about her boobs growing on a it's unfathomable. <laughs> I just hit the mic. It is unfathomable that the same people could write that that wrote the fucking Kamashid arc. Yeah, it's, it doesn't make it doesn't jive. Yeah, it really doesn't. It's it's the one thing holding back this game from being almost perfect you know i agree no i agree like it's a it's a testament to the rest of the writing that i'm still playing the game and that i still frankly love it as much as i do yeah despite this because and that makes me feel like a that makes me feel a little bit guilty <laughs> honestly and i i don't I, mean that as a joke i mean no, that seriously no, because I, like, I yeah i feel you liking something is not and should not be a justification for putting up with its problematic side. Yeah. We see that, not to make this a politicast, but <laughs> frankly, we see that in our modern American culture all the time. Yeah. Especially in our political world right now. Yeah. Just because you get enjoyment out of something doesn't negate the harm it can do to people. Yeah. And I think, frankly, that there's a lot of potential harm in this game for people. Especially in the first two instances. Yeah. The third instance I want to talk about <laughs> is, I think, less over overtly harmful and more just like, again, what the fuck? Gross. So we talked about Kamashita and how obviously bad it is for a teacher to date a student. Yeah. There are, I think, there are four adult women you can date in this game. Remember, we've already said that it's bad for an adult man to date a teenager. Yeah. But now we're saying it's okay for an adult woman to date a teenage boy. And... Worst of all, one of those is your teacher. Yep. Kawakami is your homeroom teacher, who also is a sexy maid who will come to <laughs> your flat and uh, flirt with you. Yep. And the game never questions this. No one's ever like, this is fucking weird. No yeah. one's ever like, hmm, this isn't how a teacher would respond if a student called her cleaning, sexy cleaning maid service. <laughs> never. There's none of this. Yeah. So... What Persona 5 is saying, whether they want to or not, is that if a male adult dates a female student, it's bad. But if a female adult dates a male student, it's great. Yeah. Not only that. Both are bad. <laughs> I hit the mic again. Persona 5. Let me make this clear for you, Atlas. Both are bad. <laughs> yep. And that is that is half of the dateable cast in that game. Yeah, no, it's literally divided day and night. During yeah. the day, you can date your, your teenage uh, <laughs> people of interest, and during the night, you can date your adult people of interest. Ugh. Because I, I think it's... I think you can date nine girls in the game, and four of them are a, are literal pedophilia. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, Which, again, has already been decried by the game, just yeah. in the reverse gender setup. Right. It's absurd. It really is. Okay. <laughs> I got that all off my chest. And, you know, honestly, where I landed is I still love the game. I still will finish the game. But I recognize I don't like that about myself. <laughs> I recognize that I don't think that's good. I mm -hmm. think the things that are bad in this game are bad. <laughs> I, you know, I think that's a really good point because... Persona 5 is a video game that I really enjoy and I really love a lot about, and obviously I love it enough to recommend it to you. It's made me 
skeptical about Japanese RPGs in general, it's put me in a situation where I'm less excited about Persona 6, you know? Unless they fix... Unless they hear this feedback, because it's not just coming from us. Yeah, no, it's absolutely not. We're not alone in feeling this way. Yeah. I my my main worry is that America's being vocal about this, but Japan isn't and sure. they make these games in Japan. Right. It bums me out because I there's a lot of, you know a lot of these Japanese stories that that I enjoy and I feel like I have to ignore a lot to right. to enjoy these games. Danganronpa, actually, not to derail too much, has also a lot of problematic stuff in it, and I feel like the problematic stuff escalates in every new game. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to get into it specifically. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, man. I mean, maybe it's a function of getting older. Maybe. Maybe it's a function of becoming more aware people, but, like, yeah, I, I don't know which, I don't know how to to, to define it. Yeah. But there definitely is a feeling of, you know, I can't keep supporting media that is going to be this intolerant. Yeah. I wouldn't support it if it were a book or a TV show, so why why support it just because it's a video game? Because video games already have a worse rap. So, you know, people take it yeah. less seriously. I think people do take these issues less seri- seriously in video games. A because I... of the because of how vocal Gamergate assholes are Ugh, yeah. and and that sets a tone for the rest of the industry but b because the video games aren't taken as seriously still and it's a self it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. video games won't be taken as seriously while they continue to not be serious about social issues well so that's the podcast <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i have gotten myself a little bit bummed yeah so let's let's start talking about the positive but the last thing i want to say at the cap on this is that mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of persona 5 reviews yeah. and in a lot of them people did call out quote-unquote problematic content yeah and i think a lot of reviews were kind of euphemistic about what that meant and Mm -hmm. that's why i wanted to do that at the top of this i don't want to bury this conversation i know i said that already yeah but the cap i want to say is i think where i've landed is if we're going to talk about persona 5 and we're going to be effusive in our praise about persona 5 which we are going to be yeah let's not then say oh but also there is this let's not quiet let's not whisper yeah what we think was wrong let's have an open long conversation about it at the front and then we can have a more honest conversation about what we liked yeah that's that's my hope at least i don't know if we succeeded in that but that's my hope (laughs) i agree so let's talk about what we liked in persona 5 and you know what why don't we just start with the characters because i love so many of these characters they are fantastic yes um who who is your favorite i think makoto might be my favorite Nice. I, I, I love Makoto. Yeah, I I thought so. I thought she'd she'd be up there. I think she has a really interesting and and um, her arc's really well done. Yeah, I, I was about to say her arc is really interesting and really redemptive and really emotional. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I I I really really enjoyed Makoto. Um. As I already said earlier, that she's who I ended up dating. Who did you end up dating? I ended up dating Makoto. Actually, <laughs> I wasn't sure. I thought I I thought it'd be Makoto, but I could also see Futaba sneaking in there. Uh, I like Futaba. I think she's a great character. I feel like the game tries too hard to get you to like her. That's probably true. Uh, like, she's a very well-developed character, I think, but I think the game leans too much on her. Look at me. Yeah. I'm singing memes. Uh, <laughs> Futaba was Stephanie's least favorite character. <laughs> I don't know. She she was a bit too looking at the camera and winking to me. That's fair. So I I didn't have interest in romancing her. 
on top of that, on top of that quirk sort of rubbing me the wrong way sometimes, I thought that Futaba and the protagonist dynamic worked much better brother as a, sister it worked yeah. much better as like yeah sibling flim, familial dynamic i agree I've, it felt wrong for me to date her and i didn't want to do that yeah no i i agree with that i also in the same vein i really like the character of sojiro a lot he's he his design is one of my favorite designs in the game yeah um and and i also like his arc a lot maybe even including the main playable cast sojiro is possibly my favorite character in the whole game his yeah. his arc is so well done. His voice actor is great. His design is great. He just improves that game. For I me. agree. Yeah, I dated Makoto, although I started a second playthrough where I tried to get all of the confidants, try to max out all the confidants. I know from seeing your trophy list that you did not succeed at that. I, I've not done that <laughs> yet, no. Uh, I'm, I'm actually like at Shido in my second playthrough. And my plan in that was to date Haru that time. Oh, okay. But I I didn't get to that point. Gotcha. Yeah. You mentioned voice acting. And I think voice acting in this game is actually really hit or miss for me. That's but fair. the hits are so good that I think on the whole of voice acting is really good. Yeah. It's just some of the secondary or tertiary characters are really bad. <laughs> and then I really don't like Haru's voice. Like, oh, I no. really dislike Haru's voice. It oh. really grates me. Um, but the voice acting that's good is so good that I think, um, on the whole, it's got a great, okay. um, what's, yeah, that's funny because I actually like, I like Haru's Haru voice. sounds a little bit to me like my Mitomo character. <laughs> Let's go. No, no, I wasn't inviting you to do it again. <laughs> I think we should go into the underground. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, Amy Lee actually also really hates Hara's voice. So, so does Stephanie. So you are really outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, my boy, boy, I'm. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, like <laughs> this is t- super tangential. But in Final Fantasy X, Yuna's like wispy ass voice yes. really rubbed me the wrong way. It's almost the same thing. I don't know how I, you could like Haru. I I just think that Haru like hits that wispiness while also not being super grating to me. I thought uh, she struck well, a good balance. Hey, teach the room. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I thought all the voice acting was decent at worst. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Like I say, the worst voice acting performance is probably the the kid at the arcade, the, the kid with the get <laughs> yeah. smokes King. hat. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, he's not great. Yeah, the laser gun kid. Most of the bad ones I think are like random characters, right? Who aren't named. Yeah, some that's... of that stuff is like uh, yeah. almost purposefully bad. <laughs> yeah, just the the people in the streets of Shibuya, basically. Yeah, right? or like a guard who says something. Yeah, yeah. hey, yeah. The voice <laughs> acting on the holes, I, I think it's it's good. I feel like I should probably not compare this game to Persona Four so much, but it's, no, it's natural. Yeah, I I think that Persona Four has a stronger voice cast overall, but I do really like. Sorry, Matthew Mercer. <laughs> <laughs> poor poor Matt Mercer. He he does. He does a good job. I I think his Yusuke voice is actually real good. Yeah, I think Ryuji's good. I think An is good. I think Makoto's very good. Yeah. Um, I think Sojiro's great. I think Sai's great. So there are a lot of... I mean, there are a lot of... We don't need to talk about voice acting for this long. <laughs> voice acting's good. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned design, and I think this is probably the standout component of Persona 5. Yeah. It's probably the best looking game that's ever been made, like just in terms of design. Yeah. The design is gorgeous. It's also fluid. It works into the world 
incredibly well like the little details like whenever you start a palace mission start is like on the floor at your feet yeah. perfectly laid in the the color scheme is 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 just so well integrated that the game, design is perfect i mean the design yeah, is perfect yeah the game has some incredible style yeah the the splash screens that happen whenever yep. you you get off an all out attack in combat yep uh well, well even in general the victory screen yeah. is, and the music that plays during the victory screen is like the greatest victory screen in any video game ever made. It's, <laughs> it's so it's, good. It's great. I I do love even more than that the the victory screen, the character specific victory yes. screens. When you pull off an all attack yeah. off that character's turn. Yeah. Yeah, they're all great. Yeah. And I like <laughs> I mean I, I like that Akechi Goro got such a detailed one even though he ended up being the <laughs> in the party for like 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, when when he did like that little dance and then the, the screen is just like him with his arms splayed out yeah, yeah, like yeah. the only thing I search for is the truth just like splayed out on the screen. I that was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Akechi, <laughs> one thing I also like about the opening is just how well it ties into the twist like in the uh in persona 5's end game where basically you experience all these events leading up to the point that you get captured right and there's there's this twist that they've been implying since the beginning that there's a traitor in your team and at the end of uh the sixth dungeon you get to find out who the traitor is finally and also deal with the aftermath of that how how did you feel about that whole sequence i thought it went pretty well um i actually didn't see akechi coming oh oddly enough stephanie did she like literally just walked by one day saw him in the party and she's like mm, i don't trust that <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be a bad guy and i was like no no no. see he's in the party it's fine and and she was right he is he is the villain um <laughs> yeah amy really the second they had that scene where Morgana, who most humans can't hear, right. talks about pancakes. Yeah, and it, I and should it have catch, seen yeah. it coming. Yeah, like the second that scene happened, she's like, he's evil. Like, <laughs> like every time Akechi showed up on the screen, she's like, oh, you bitch. I know, <laughs> I know that you're going to be evil later. And she was completely right. It, yeah. was, it was funny. The twist itself was cool. However, <laughs> I didn't totally buy how they pulled it off. That the drugs the police gave you made you forget certain things when you were retelling the story. Right. But the only things that made you forget were things related to Akechi. <laughs> it was, it was very convenient. It's the Akechi drug. Right. That, yeah. that to me, was a little too convenient. A little for contrived. It it's a little contrived. Fair enough. But it didn't... I still enjoyed the twist. I just... I, I don't think it necessarily worked all that well. Okay. Um, I mean, it worked in that I didn't see Akechi being the traitor coming, but the way in which the narrator, the protagonist forgot about that didn't really work. Yeah, that's that's fair. It was a little contrived. A little bit. <laughs> a little convenient. That's that's fair. I also loved in the setup of that mechanic, so, you know, mo the first three quarters of the game is played in flashback. Yeah. And you're telling Sainijima about what happened. Yeah. As she's interrogating you. And I just love that the game is basically one long episode of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> because Sai's so like, all right, now I know you had someone who was good at hacking on your team. Tell me about that person. And then it's like, well, and then you live out the day and you went to the arcade and cooked some curry. <laughs> it's like, why are you telling Sai about this? Or you went to the, you know, you went to the amusement park with your date. It's like, why are you telling this adult woman about the intricacies of your life? It's exactly like How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right so tell me how you committed this crime well 
let me tell you about the day that I went to the library with your sister. (laughs) (laughs) And then I read this book about Goemon? (laughs) No, I want to talk more about this this heist. (laughs) So that wasn't bad. It just made me laugh every time. Every every time, because the flashbacks happened for the well i guess the flash forwards happen rather infrequently so every time i kind of forget and then i would see her again I'm like oh man i gotta tell you a lot about my life girl i gotta catch you up because a lot has happened i went on three dates i did some laundry i had my teacher do my laundry and paid her five thousand yen for it and i'm just imagining this this happening in real life and it's, it's humorous yeah it it's a sense like i said it's how i met your mother um so that that mechanic i thought was kind of funny i do like that for a video game um it's certainly better than you know the traditional amnesia mechanic um yeah. that most jrpgs take for for helping for you know hiding the backstory of the game right um but yeah overall that didn't that, i think that worked fine yeah i i thought that was pretty cool one thing i thought was funny is that the aftermath, the way that you sort of thwart Akechi for the time being, you sort of uh, trick him into shooting an alternate reality version of you uh, while you stay safe. That heist was so convoluted that the game then spends <laughs> half an hour explaining to you what <laughs> oh happened. Oh my god, yeah. And, and in such <laughs> unbelievable ways. For the most part, the game handles dialogue pretty well. Yeah. But the scene where um, Akechi and Shido are talking through their plan... <laughs> it's a total James Bond moment. Yeah, they're like, it really they're is. just recounting to each other what they did with each other. Yeah. Like, no one would ever do that. Yeah. It's not a conversation two humans would have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And they just reiterate. Yeah. And they just reiterate. And then I did this to the Phantom Thieves. Yes, that was quite good. And I liked it when I did this to the Phantom Thieves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, dudes, we got it. We understand that that was you. Yeah. We don't need this conversation that no two humans would ever have. Yeah. I I love that not only was like the explanation, the exposition, the making sure you got it. Not only was that half an hour long. After At you, least. yeah. After after you finish that and you go to your room, Futaba's sitting there next to your bed, and she's like, right. "Hey, do you want to know all the plot right. holes that we filled in? Right. <laughs> like, and, do do you want to do you want to know an even longer like right. ten minute explanation of like the small details that you think we might have missed?" Yeah, I think the game could have trusted its, itself and its <laughs> gamers a little bit more. Yeah, but that's that's kind of a humorous quibble rather than a you know a, um, a, a problem an, with the game. An on Takamaki quibble. Oh god. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I that I noticed about the game, and I think this comes from being developed originally for the PlayStation Three, is that the animations are kind of janky. And I don't mm. mean the 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 uh, anime scenes are beautiful. I mean mm. the character animations, the character modeling as they walk around in the 3d environment okay it's sometimes really kind of janky that's that's fair actually what like you're right like the default like character models like the the ones where you're just like walking around in the world and stuff those can be kind of janky sometimes a little bit just just a little just bit a little right bit. yeah it's not like a big problem with the right. game it's just like it reminds you that this game was originally not going to be made for the playstation 4 yeah but actually one thing that i remember thinking when i played through this game is that they they have two different kinds of cutscenes, right? They have yeah. the they have the anime cutscenes that are like with hand drawn animation, and those and, are beautiful. Yeah, and they have the the three D animated like the the cutscenes where they use uh, like more detailed versions of the character models. Uh, for example, like during each character's transformation sequence, right. they they use three D models for that, 
And I thought those cutscenes look so good. Oh yeah, those ones those yeah. ones look good. Don't get me wrong. I'm oh, just talking yeah. about when characters are walking around in the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean. I just wanted to say that I thought those cutscenes look so good that they made the that they made the hand animated cutscenes yeah. look worse by comparison. <laughs> they, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why didn't they just why didn't they just animate all the cutscenes like this? This looks I, so I like good. the anime aesthetic though. Yeah, like uh like yeah, I, I didn't I didn't hate it. I thought they I thought those looked good too. It was yeah. just sort of a, a a weird thing where I I guess the the animation quality felt a little worse when they were jumping to these scenes that they clearly paid more for. Sure. Yeah. The main reason I bring up the animations and the character modeling is because at least 20 times while I was playing the game, Stephanie would yell about how scared she was for Ryuji because <laughs> the way he's animated is that he's his posture is impossible. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like he's his, like, like bow legged and his back is broken. <laughs> and she'd just be like, please, someone take Ryuji to the doctor <laughs> because he looks like he's in pain. <laughs> and, and the game never really, they always have him like hunched like a gremlin. It's. It looks very uncomfortable. What what I'm getting from this is that I need to recommend you more games that your wife can watch and yeah, play through. Seriously. <laughs> um, we'll hear more from her later. She actually sent us some email we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Here. So, yeah, the animations were occasionally, like, a little bit wonky. I also, since the Game of the Year cast we did two weeks ago, I've actually kind of revised my opinion of the soundtrack a little bit. Okay. And I don't think I like it as much as I did originally. Interesting. It's still a good video game soundtrack but i don't love it um i i think there are a couple songs that i do really enjoy but yeah you you mentioned how you didn't think it had enough variety yeah. and i'm really noticing that the more time <laughs> in the game now that i'm into 90 hours i noticed right. that a lot and i also had i really did not like the music from the casino palace oh, and oh really that one yeah it's really man i love the casino i i love uh, that, one of the casino themes at least there's a couple different i really didn't like the one that like played in all the combats and as you were walking around the, the casino itself um there's a track in the casino with like lyrics and i liked yeah, that that's the one i hated oh man i really I didn't like that song <laughs> oh man i love that theme that's so that okay. that that i hadn't heard yet when we did the podcast now that right. i've heard it and i heard it a lot um, <laughs> i just think the soundtrack has has moments where it's good but mm. even the songs that i like are all played so much mm, yeah and 2017 had a lot of really great soundtracks in it. So I just wanted to circle back around on that thought yeah. and say I've landed a little bit less positively on the soundtrack than That's, I started off. I think for the record that it is a really good soundtrack that could have used more variety. And some of the songs, there were a couple songs that by the end of my 120-hour playthrough and then the other 40 hours that I've put into my second playthrough so far, there were a couple where I was like, okay, I've heard this song too yeah, much. exactly. Uh, specifically, the battle theme, which is good. It is good. But, yeah. I, I mean, 40 I, hours of the game is spent listening to that theme alone. Yeah, so I, I did get burned out on that theme specifically. I think mostly... I didn't get tired of a lot of those songs even after I heard them a sure. thousand times. Sure. And I think that's that's a testament to how good the soundtrack is, personally speaking. I agree. And I think a tethered conversation to this one is I've never enjoyed playing a game for as nearly 100 hours as much as I've enjoyed playing this game for nearly 100 hours. <laughs> However, I will say I don't think anyone would have complained if each palace was like 15, uh -huh. 15% shorter. Yeah. No one who would have missed that. <laughs> no one. Yeah. I I I do want to talk a little bit about how 
I think there's a lot of people. I I feel at least in my households, <laughs> right? Uh, my my roommate Sean and uh, and Amy Lee, uh, they both have told me that they think the the palace system, the way they do Dungeons Persona Five, which involves a you know a, a actual lived in like set location where you have to travel through a bunch of specific rooms and solve puzzles and stuff. They like that less than the way it was in Persona Four, where you just walk through a randomly generated dungeon and and hit enemies and that's like the entire gameplay loop of of the dungeons. They say they like Persona 5 less than Persona 4 style. I actually disagree. I really liked I really liked the way palaces worked. I really liked how the gameplay informed the story and vice versa through that. Right. I really liked that exploring a dungeon felt like you were participating in a heist. Yeah. And I thought that serviced the game really well. I do agree that some of them got really long-winded. Yes. Shido's dungeon, the one you're in right now, got tedious as hell. Like, the first time that fucking mouse puzzle happened, I was right. like, oh, that's cool. The, the fourth time it happened, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I've done oh it three my times. god. I'm not looking forward to the fourth time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. On the whole, I think one of the things that makes Persona 5 such an enjoyable experience is the way that the mechanic is tethered to the theme. So the the palaces do feel like an important part of the story. Yeah. And I, at the top, I said, one of the things I love about the story is how well thought out each palace is. The mm-hmm. palace so well matches the person who created it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that about that. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation about this problem with Sean before we started doing the, the podcast, which is that JRPGs need a, a, a way for you to level up they need a way for you to grind. Yeah. And because um, the palaces in Persona 5 have, are, are not randomly generated, yeah. and because you can't go back to them once you beat them, they, yeah. they disappear, yeah. you can't level up in them. So right. then what Persona 5 have, has is mementos, right. which is kind of like the palace for the rest of us, yeah. where everyone else in Japan has their desires, basically. Yeah. And it's very long, and you discover more of it as the game goes along, but you can do random encounters there kind of. Yeah. You can do the game's version of random encounters there. You can grind in mementos. Yeah. And JRPGs need a system where you can grind. The problem is grinding is inherently not fun. <laughs> so, you know, there's never there, there's no good way to make grinding happen in a game. Yeah. I agree with you. I like the novel approach that the palace takes, that it's not a randomly generated dungeon where you just stumble into enemies ad nauseum until you get to the boss. Yeah. Um, but I understand the point also of like, well, let me just grind the way I want to grind yeah. and get through it. But the point I wanted to make is just that like, there's a trade-off. It's 50-50. Yeah. By the structure, the necessity of the structure of a JRPG is that something has to exist that's just inherently kind of not that fun yeah. <laughs> for you to progress your character. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts you want to say on that? It's just kind of a bummer that JRPGs are one of my favorite genres out there. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. And, and yeah, like grinding is just sort of a necessity in so many of them. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get to the mail. Okay. We've got a piece of mail. Yes, uh, this came from Max's wife. <laughs> Dear Play This Podcast. Hi. First of all, I just wanted to say that you are doing a great job. I really like listening to the podcast, and I don't know anything about video games, so I think that it's a testament to the great job you're doing. I have no thoughts on Game of the Year, as the only game I played this year was The Sims 4. Pets. <laughs> she did play a lot of Sims 4 pets, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> how? Uh, I, I want to ask how Sims 4 is, but this is already such a long podcast. I think, in general, uh, Sims 4 is great. Pets is an unnecessary uh, contribution. I think that's what her opinion is. I don't okay. want to speak for her, but I'm pretty sure that's her opinion. Okay, all right. 
I am loving Persona 5. I love the art. I love the characters. I love the story. Morgana is one of my favorite characters across all media. I agree, Max's wife. <laughs> my favorite scene so far has been when they went to the buffet and everyone had to eat so much food and Morgana got m- more beans. Which we tweeted about. <laughs> I could not stop laughing. I'm leading up to a question, I promise. I love Persona 5 so much, I keep wishing I could just read it like a book, as I certainly do not have the video game skills to play through it, nor is that particularly appealing to me. Along those lines, I was wondering, have any video games ever been turned into novels or graphic novels? I know that happens with movies, they'll get novelization tie-ins, but does that ever happen with video games? If it does, someone should make a Persona novel. I would read the shit out of it, and then I wouldn't have to ask my husband what happened in the game after I fell asleep. <laughs> Which does happen a lot. <laughs> thank, uh, <laughs> thanks for potting. Sincerely, Max's wife. Well, first of all, Stephanie, thank you for flattering us so much at the top <laughs> of, the, of the email. We did not ask you to do that, but we certainly appreciate it. The serious answer to this question, this is actually an interesting question, and I've been thinking about it a lot. Also, let me also say, Stephanie sent us this email a little bit ago, and she, it was she sent that well before you got to the beach scene. I was gonna say it was before a lot of the problematic content happened. I, yeah. she still we talk about this a lot. She still enjoys watching the game. She still wants me to update her on the story when she misses out. But there has been friction. Yeah, yeah. Play through. No blame there <laughs> at all, man. Like, yeah. But but to the question itself, I was thinking about this a lot, and there are a couple things I I, I came up with. Um, one of which is I know that um, Max Brooks, who wrote Daisy and is the son of Mel Brooks. Um, oh, didn't know that one. Yeah. He wrote, he was commissioned to write a Minecraft novelization. Ha. So it's a story set in the Minecraft world um, that's not tethered to, well, there's no story in <laughs> Minecraft. Right. But it's, yeah, it's just, a, it's a Minecraft novel set in the Minecraft world. Huh. I think that came out in 2017. Huh. So there's that. Yeah. And actually... There are some games that do have novelizations. I think Mass Effect has some novelizations. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing. Halo, Halo definitely has ma- novelizations. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed that a lot of games do actually is some big games have novelization tie-ins, as in novels set in the universe that don't retell the game's story, but tell like little side stories. Uh, Mass Effect has a novel, I think, that takes place between the events of Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, stuff like that. And actually, in Japan, I'm pretty sure most of them haven't gotten localized, unfortunately, but in Japan, there are a lot of Persona side story novels. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Persona 3 has uh, a direct novelization, but it also has several stories that don't take place in the game itself, but take place, like, around the game like focusing on minor characters that are in persona 3 there's just a novel about like a minor persona 3 character and i think are are they written works or they manga they're they're written works oh interesting yeah one thing they also do is they have direct manga adaptations (laughs) of of these games uh persona 3 persona 4 both have completed manga adaptations and persona 5's manga adaptation is actually currently in progress interesting yeah but those aren't continuations or or explorations of different aspects of the story those are direct yeah those are direct yeah. adaptations so if you didn't just want to watch on get objectified you could read her <laughs> too yeah uh, good, good. <laughs> and to answer her the graphic novel side of, of that question right. uh there's a lot of manga adaptations of different games out there too i think there's a few zelda games that have manga adaptations uh I think Blaze Blue's got some manga adaptations. There's Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> That's some... 
<laughs> yeah, sure. It's interesting when I was doing research about this after I read the question, like how few novel and graphic novel and manga adaptations there are, direct adaptations there are of these video game stories, because it would be nice to yeah. to show people that like to read more than they like to play games, like these stories that I like so much. Actually, one one thing worth noting that sort of goes outside the scope of her question is that a ton of Japanese video games especially have anime adaptations. Well, right, right. Uh, Danganronpa has an anime adaptation. Persona 4 has, an, has multiple anime <laughs> adaptations that sort of boil down the stories to, you know, their basic narrative, you know, do a 26-episode season out of it or whatever. That could be worth checking out, even though I, I don't think your wife really does anime? She's not into cartoons in general like even the simpsons huh it's it's a it's not great huh that's that's weird because like she loves <laughs> sorry for calling you out <laughs> she loves disney though. i know yeah. i know hey people are uh people are, people are weird <laughs> um <laughs> i i think um the more we talk about this and i'm not knowing all of morgana's story yeah i would i would be interested in like a morgana backstory at like manga i like nice. Morgana's adventures before she met the team. <laughs> Sorry, he. I don't know why I said she. I man, Morgana's I called ad- Morgana she for ninety five percent of my and, playthrough. Well, it's the voice actress. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a voice actress. It's the name. What's the name? Uh, but yeah, no, I would definitely read. Well, of what I know now, I know that there might be surprises ahead for me. Yeah. I would read like a Morgana. What what happened to Morgana before he met the Phantom Thieves manga? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Are you listening, Atlas? <laughs> Are you still listening after we bashed you about your social justice? Please. Issues. Please listen to that at least. God. Anyway. <laughs> so thank you, Stephanie, for sending us that email. This was a fun uh, question to think about, and we appreciate all the praise you heaped upon us. And thank you for, in the postscript, suggesting that Max refer no, to I'm you gonna, in no. a Borat voice. No. Uh, I'm sorry that he didn't do it. Well, immediately after she sent that email, she's like, please, please disregard. <laughs> please disregard that request. <laughs> I think I'd also point out that after our Game of the Year podcast, <laughs> Stephanie sent us an email to the Play This uh, email account that was just titled, in all caps, HATE MAIL, <laughs> because I did not choose a cat category, <laughs> and she was offended on Morgana's behalf. I really appreciated that. Thank maybe, you, maybe we'll, maybe we'll post um, a, a picture of that to Twitter yeah. for everyone to read. Yes, that that could be a Let's good do thing. That. By, by the way, we do have a Twitter that we update with like little bonus things related to episodes of our podcast. At Play This Podcast, it's a lot of fun to work on. One thing I did recently was do a bunch of little spotlights of the games of the year that we picked. And for the Mario Odyssey tweet, I used Mario Odyssey's screenshot tool to take all the pictures for that tweet myself. And I'm very proud of them. Yeah, you did a good job. I'll have Stephanie send you an email praising you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say about Persona 5? Pooh, man. I I feel like we already said a lot. We did say a lot. It's... It's a game that I'm I'm glad that you had a a largely positive experience with, and I'm glad that you've joined me in this complicated feeling yeah. of of loving a game and also realizing how hard it is to love, and also coming to terms with with what it means to be complicit yeah. in, in loving that game, and, and what it means to to 
to recommend it and to play it and to enjoy it. Yeah. I think the what I have been doing is, you know, when I recommend it to people, I recommend it with the same asterisk that I gave you. Right. You know? Like right. like this game is not perfect. There are problems with it. And I think I think there is a complicitness in what we're doing by enjoying it anyway. But I think there I think at the very least it's important to not just ignore the problems to point I, them out. I agree. I yeah. agree. Those are our thoughts on Persona 5. If you want to um, chime in with yours, if you want to yell at us for being social justice warriors, <laughs> uh, you can do that at, we have a new email address that is easier for everyone to remember, including myself. And it is uh, feedback at playthispodcast.com. Once again, that is feedback at playthispodcast.com. You don't only have to give us feedback. You can also send in on the, any type of back you want. Uh, <laughs> but uh, once again, that email, the new email is feedback at playthispodcast.com. And yes, that also means that we have our own website right, now. Good point. If you go to playthispodcast.com, you'll see our episodes and uh, links to basically all of our stuff, to where we are on iTunes, where we are on Stitcher, where we are on Google Play Podcast, our SoundCloud that is now a decent hub for any play this content that you feel you might be missing. Thank you, Daniel, for getting that set up. Woo. As Daniel mentioned, we also are on Twitter. Uh, we are at playthispodcast on twitter.com. Um, we do post um, some fun content on there, so make sure to check that out. You can tweet at us there as well. Um, and uh, I'm going to do something now, which I, I think Daniel's not going to like, but he's <laughs> going to have to deal with it because I'm the host. Um, and that is, I'm going to say next time, we have a surprise for you. Ooh. I'm not going to say what the game is. What? I'm going to say if we are doing a um, the first in what will be a special occasional series of, of episodes where Daniel and I play a game together for the first time and then talk about that game. Yeah. We are going to do this with, uh, with, Dan with Daniel, myself, and with Sean. Yeah. And if you have listened to the Game of the Year uh, podcast, or if you know anything about Sean, you can probably guess what game <laughs> we're going to be playing. But I'm going to leave it as a surprise. You're it won't done. be a surprise. It, I know it won't be a surprise once you put the episode up, because the name of the game will be in the next episode's <laughs> description. I get that. But a little bit of a cliffhanger. Never hurt anyone. Well, wow. I knew you were going to like I, this. Man, you didn't, you didn't consult me nope, on this at I all. I didn't. Ah. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> so, tune in next time when we play a mystery game. Uh, it would be, again, myself. We'll be joined by special guests Sean, and Daniel will be here as well. And Daniel and I have never played this game before. Yeah, I'm, I am excited about that. And this will be the first time in the series that Max and I play through something together, co-op. We're planning on doing that more than once uh, this year. That's, that's one of kind of our New Year's resolutions for the podcast that we're kind of excited about. Yeah, switch up the content a little bit. Yeah. So, as always, we'd like to thank Sean for um, writing the music uh, that takes us in and takes us out of every episode. I also want to say um, Sean set up a new recording situation in the apartment. So now Daniel and I are on different mics. Yeah. So if it sounds better to you uh, this week, that is all thanks to Sean. So, once again, Sean, thank you for not only making the music sound good, but making us sound good. Yes, and unrelated to all of that, thanks to Kessie Rilanicki. For making the logo, which looks as good as it always has. I can't believe I've been with this mic setup, and I've only just now gotten the temptation to do NPR voice. <laughs> oh, is is are you doing it now? Is yes, that, oh. this is this is NPR, <laughs> National Public Radio. 
it's it's more of a studio setup. That's why he's doing that. I I think the I think maybe that joke loses something without the visual. No. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Play. <laughs> that was really bad for people's ears. That was terrible. Play. Why? No, just say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Game over.